Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Now, I'd like you to turn your Bibles tonight, uh, at least for a start here, to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 through to uh, 8. We won't read the whole chapter because of uh, what we would like, would like to cover tonight. And then we'll go down to um, verse 19. So let's uh, start anyway. Revelation 18 and uh, verse 1 onwards. And after these things... And uh, after these things is Revelation chapter 18, comes after Revelation 17. Everybody would agree with that. Um, In fact, uh, why don't we pick up verse 18, because John didn't have any chapter divisions, but because of what uh, we're going to look at tonight. Verse 18 of chapter 70 says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And after these things, that's the things in chapter 17, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened or illuminated with his glory, the New King James says. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. You know, there's a double fall there. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And he's become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. So quite evident in this uh, Babylonian situation, there are the people of God who are told to come out. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Um, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, and mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Go down to, um, say, verse 19. And uh, they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. But in contrast to that, verse 20, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee, and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, 
for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Pray the Lord bless his word to our heart. Now in our last couple of sessions on looking at apocalyptic events, we, in our first session we particularly took the evening on spending looking at the prophecy of Daniel on the time of the end. And then in our last session we took the theme of the midnight hour and my wife said I went too fast and gave too much material and I need to slow down. How many would agree with my wife? She'll be very happy about that. So, as I told you before, I was born in a hurry and uh, tried to cover so much material. Now, what I want to talk about tonight, and I will try and slow down a little bit, but uh, trying just to do a sort of a uh, one-night uh, session on some of these vast subjects rather than spend a whole semester, I want to talk about the rebuilding of Babylon. And uh, as we're going to see tonight, hopefully, that uh, the rebuilding of the actual city of Babylon is a, one of the master signs of the end. I want you to turn uh, to, um, let's see, while we're, while we're in the book of Revelation here, I want you to turn over to a couple of other scriptures. And um, what I'm going to share with you tonight, for some people it may be a little bit uh, controversial because um, uh, a lot of expositors, a certain amount of expositors, I should say, they say, once you come to the book of Revelation and you see mentions of Babylon and so forth, that it's not actually a literal city, it's either Rome or just some great commercial city. I want you to turn to uh, Revelation, chapter nine, uh, Revelation chapter 9. And uh, just while you're doing that, let me put on the overhead uh, where we're going to sort of be leading tonight. Because uh, we can see this. Okay, up here, what we're going to be looking at tonight is the rebuilding of Babylon. And also in connection with that, I want you to note the references in the book of Revelation, particularly to the book of the, uh, to the river Euphrates. And you can't look at uh, the river Euphrates without considering Babylon, because the, as we'll see tonight, and uh, most of you should know from history anyway, that the river Euphrates ran diagonally across right through the, the uh, city of Babylon. So I want you to see at least the scriptures first, just as a foundation here. Revelation chapter 9. And uh, I think by the time we're through tonight, you'll understand why I take a lot of things in Revelation, where, it's, uh, uh, where it makes sense uh, as actual. I don't, uh, there's a lot of symbols in Revelation, but you can't symbolize it all away. In fact, uh, just have a little saying that goes like this. If the scripture makes uh, common sense, seek no other sense or you'll get into nonsense. And we think that's a good statement. So if the scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, otherwise you get into nonsense. So a lot of people in looking at some of these things say, well, it doesn't really mean that. It's only symbolic or it's spiritualized or something. So no, if it makes common sense, seek no other sense or you will get into nonsense. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 14. Uh, or, yes, okay, verse 14. And uh, here we have a voice from the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, just so you can make a note of that, the sixth angel, number six, number five, or number seven, the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Okay, so book of Revelation, like the book of Genesis, mentions the great river Euphrates. 
And uh, just verse 15 will be sufficient here. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year for to slay the third part of men. We can't uh, get into this, but uh, we were sharing this in um, college that certain, the Bible shows us that certain angels are loose. Uh, today, there are certain angels that are bound in Tartarus, uh, which is translated hell, and there's certain angels, particularly these four, that are bound at the river Euphrates. Why the river Euphrates? Okay, uh, so they're bound, and uh, it's, there's going to be a specific hour, a specific day, a specific month, a specific year when these four angels are going to be loosed and they slay a third part of men. And as we mentioned when we were doing on the doctrine of angels, if you go back to the Old Testament, one angel in one night in defending God's people, uh, he slew 185,000 Assyrians in one night. I'd say that's not a bad night's work for one angel, wouldn't you? So you think when a four, these four angels have been bound for uh, probably thousands of years, just well, gnashing at the teeth, ready to get loose, but, uh, but there's going to be a specific year, month, day, and hour when these four are loose, okay? The sixth angel. Now go over to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16. And uh, we'll pick up in verse 12 through to 14, or for 16, should I say. And again, we notice, and the sixth angel, so you note, six, six. It's associated with the river Euphrates. So the sixth angel under the six trumpets, and the sixth angel under the six uh, bowls of wrathy, or the vials as they're called, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and don't try and spiritualize these things away. God dried up the Red Sea for the people of God, Israel, to pass over. How many believe that was a miracle? God dried up the River Jordan to let the people of Israel pass in the Promised Land. It's no business, no problem with God to dry up the River Euphrates when we get to this particular moment. So no, no need to spiritualize it away. And I'm not saying you do. I'm saying that for those expositors that do and say, well, you can't take that literally. Okay, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And he interprets the unclean frogs. That's why I never say I got a frog in my throat after I read this scripture. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles to go forth under the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth, keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So, River Euphrates, Babylon, Armageddon. As I've often said, when that takes place, Armageddon right out of the way. How many are coming with me? All right, chapter 14 of Revelation. So two references to the great river Euphrates there, both with the, associated with the number six, the sixth angel. And uh, chapter 14, verse 8, our first mention in Revelation of, uh, of uh, Babylon. And there followed, uh, chapter 14, verse 8, yes. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That double fallen again. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornications. Chapter 16 
and verse 19, chapter 16, verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Boy, could you think of New York and Los Angeles and Canberra and Sydney, Moscow? And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Chapter 17, verse 5. And here it's referring to a woman with the name Babylon. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And then we've already read chapter, uh, chapter 18, the particular verses. Okay, so we want to uh, sort of concentrate on this area of uh, Babylon up here, the rebuilding of Babylon and uh, the river Euphrates. So, as usual, we're going to sort of do our overview. Everybody should know that by now. I want you to go, uh, go back to the book of Genesis, and we'll go back to the beginning of things now, just to sort of give you the sense of direction. We're trying to, you know, cover vast subjects, as you understand, just in one session. The, uh, I think it was Charles Dickens that wrote a book uh, entitled The Tale of Two Cities. How many have ever heard of that or read that? Well, the Bible could really be called A Tale of Two Cities. And the two major cities that we have, and we'll put this up here in the Old Testament, are Babylon and the other city, which we'll probably consider next week, hopefully, is Jerusalem. So Babylon and Jerusalem, Tale of Two Cities, and the history of the Old Testament, those, there's lots of other cities as we'll see in a moment, but the history of the Bible basically centers around the Old Testament about Babylon and Jerusalem. Then we come to the time of the cross, and as we go through church history, when we get down to the book of Revelation, we find that these two cities come into prominence again, Babylon and Jerusalem. Now, a lot of people accept that Jerusalem in Revelation is a literal, actual city, but uh, they often want to spiritualize Babylon and say, oh, well, the Bible says Babylon will never be rebuilt again and so forth. So we're going to look at that. So the Bible is really a tale of two cities. So let's have an overview of this and uh, see where we end up and particularly what's happening in, in, in our day today. And a lot of material I've been collecting over the years because I've believed this for years, but I uh, haven't taught it too much. Okay, let's go back to the uh, book of Genesis, back to the book of beginnings. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter, chapters 10 and chapter 11, just in there. Now, as we uh, will be doing Babylon, we'll be doing Jerusalem because I personally believe these two actual cities, uh, I'm looking for the heavenly Jerusalem myself, aren't you? Whose builder and maker is God. But as far as earthly things are concerned, uh, of all the cities in the earth, you can watch what's going on in Jerusalem and in Babylon, what's, what's happening particularly relative to the coming of the Lord. So what you find over the Bible and over history is that uh, when Babylon was up, Jerusalem was down. When Jerusalem was up, Babylon was down. It was like a seesaw, teeter-totter. Uh, Babylon's up, Jerusalem's down, Jerusalem's up, Babylon's down. So all the other cities actually in the, in the Bible actually take their uh, judgment and character from either of these two cities, Babylon or Jerusalem. So let's go back to Genesis chapter, chapter 10. And in Genesis chapter 10, we have the origin of cities. 
In fact, uh, we're going to maybe just go back a, a, a little bit earlier than that. Uh, let's go back to Genesis 4. Genesis 4. And uh, as we read a couple of verses here, I'll just read off my notes here. The Bible shows it's impossible to separate people from cities. People often built cities and called them by their own names or the names of their son. They built cities and named them because of certain characteristics and interpretations of names. So Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So Cain was the first city builder, and he named the city after his son. So he built the city, called the name of the city after the name of his son. All right, so you'll find that all the way through. Now back to Genesis chapter 10. And uh, these chapters come after the flood. So after the flood, we have the first city that's actually built, the first major city, and that's the city of Babylon. Uh, and may, may I say this sort of on the way through? Once you put uh, a couple of these scriptures down, we won't have time to turn to them. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 3. And verse 12, Revelation 17, verse 5. Okay, Revelation 17, verse 5. I think that'll be enough scriptures on that. Let me say what's that. What I see happening in, in the book of Ultimates, which is Revelation, the book of Ultimates, everybody in the world is going to sort of uh, be spiritually and characteristically identified with one of these cities. Okay, so all the cities of the nations in God's mind are either cities under this great mystery Babylon or, or the, the, the Jerusalem, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem I'm talking about. So in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, To him that overcomes, I will write upon him my new name. I'll write upon him the name of my God. I'll write upon him my new name. And I'll write upon him the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. So people having the name of a city upon them, and I'm not talking about a literal name, but the spiritual truth of it. But then in Revelation 17, we saw the great harlot church, and uh, I better not get sidetracked on the things that buzz through my mind. How many saw about the big decision the Uniting Church has made this week? Uh, we'll touch on that later on. But the bride of Christ is in formation, and the harlot church is in formation. We've just got to face these things. And some of the things coming out with the, the paper, it's moving so fast. How many saw the newspaper where in, uh, in uh, Perth, is it, or Adelaide, we have the first pub church? I mean, well, you know, where are we going? That's not the bride of Christ. Thank you, Kevin. That's a real good point. Okay? And this woman had a name written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon the Great. So everybody, I, I, I want to have, be an overcomer and have the name of the city of my God. And you see, the name associates with, with the nature. See, whenever the na name is used in the Bible, name always means nature. So a person having Mystery Babylon, the nature and character of Babylon is upon them, so they have the name. Holy City Jerusalem, the bride city, and the nature and the character of the holy city. So everybody's going to be identified with one city or the other. Now, let's go to uh, all right, Genesis 10. Uh, just a few verses here and there. We've got so much to do now. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Remember, Ham's always in the middle. I'm always in one. 
Uh, then verses 2, we have to fight the sons of Japheth. Verse 6, and the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Phat, and Canaan. And down to verse 8, and Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, he said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher, and built Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, the same as a great city. Go down to verse 15. And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinite, the Arvidite, and the Zemurite, and the Hamathite, and afterwards, uh, afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gira, unto Gaza, as thou goest, unto Sodom, and Gomorrah, and Adma, and Zeboim, even unto Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Then we have the genealogy of, uh, of Shem. All right, now I want you to notice the uh, important names here uh, and the cities that come out of that. So if you have your notes, why don't you take this down? These are the main things we pick up. We have, first of all, Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, so the central son. And then from Ham, we have Cush. And then we're told that Cush begat Nimrod. All right, now, interesting thing here. Nimrod, his very name means the rebel. That's the interpretation of his name, means the rebel. And not only that, he's, he's not only the rebel in name, he is the 13th from Adam. And 13 is the number of rebellion. So Nimrod, the rebel. There it's referred to as the mighty hunter before the Lord. A lot of commentaries bring out mighty hunter of, of animals and men. Uh, a warrior, a great warrior. So Nimrod, uh, the mighty hunter, in fact, uh, though we don't take it as inspired, it's interesting to read some of the, uh, the Jewish literature, how, uh, anticipating a little bit next week, how Nimrod and Abraham had uh, quite a fisticuff, or Abraham as he was then, and uh, because Nimrod is the founder of Babel and the Tower of Babel, it's at that time the conflict between Nimrod and Abraham, that God said to Abraham, you get out of Ur of the Chaldees, as we see on our map, Mesopotamia, get out of Ur of the Chaldees, and you go to a city that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you a great name. So you have to see that in the context. Abraham and Nimrod and, and the Jews have some interesting uh, writings on that. All right, now, from Nimrod, you'll notice the first city, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, or Babylon. So the beginning, the beginning of his kingdom. So you have kingdom Babylon, the kingdom Babylon, associated with Nimrod. Now, out of that line also we come over here to the great city of Nineveh. And you think that the book of Jonah and uh, book of Naaman, all having to do with Nineveh, that these are the cities, Babel, Nineveh, and some uh, smaller cities, but they're associated. So the great city of Babel, and the great city of Nineveh. Now, on the other hand, let's uh, just cut out Abraham here. As you follow the line of Ham and some of the genealogy here, you find we have Canaan, 
and all the Canaanites that come out of that, and the cities that come from Canaan are, listen to it here, is Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, we start to see a picture right there. So Ham begat Cush, Cush begat Nimrod, Nimrod became a mighty hunter, a rebel before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babylon and some associated cities, uh, and then out from there, Asher, Nineveh, and then from Canaan, also from Cush, we have the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Turn over to, um, oh well, I'll just quote, I'll give you the reference, save you turning to a lot. Put down once again Revelation chapter 11 and uh, verse uh, 8. Referring to the two witnesses, you need by the turners. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. And uh, you, uh, that's why I like to stick to old King James on some of these things, because King James uses this. It's interesting that as you follow this Canaanite and the cities, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, how they were destroyed by fire and brimstone, uh, is that. Instead of in the Bible saying people were homosexuals, they were called after the name of a city, Sodomites. And see, old King James brings that out very clear that some of the godly kings got rid of the Sodomites in the land. They were named after city. Because they took on the sins and the character and nature of the city, they were named after a city. Same as this. I want to have the name of the holy city Jerusalem on me. How many can say amen? See, so God sees people associated with cities. So there's uh, important cities there, Babylon, Nineveh, Sodom, and Gomorrah. Okay, so we have the beginning. Turn to chapter 11 now. Turn to chapter 11 of Genesis. So there's Genesis chapter 11. All right, now... As you glance over verses 1 through to 9, we find that there's a, a unity of speech there. The whole earth was of one language and one speech. One lip, actually. So it came to pass as they journeyed in the east and they found there a plain in the land of China. If you just make a little mental note at least, the land of China. Uh, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said, Go to, let us make brick, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build... Now, you'll notice the emphasis on us here, which is characterized, characterizing Babylon. Let us build us a city and a tower. Now, the thought of the city here is a political government headquarters... And the thought of the tower is ecclesiastical. I'll read that off my note here. So build us a city, the whole thought is a political. But build us a tower is the whole ecclesiastical thing. Remember, uh, the Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. But here, let us build us a city and, and, uh, and a tower whose top may reach to heaven. Now, they're not trying to get to heaven, actually. But they want to build a ziggurat... Uh, this tower where the, they could study the signs of the zodiac. Uh, Hislop in his heavy, heavy book on the two Babylons brings this out very fully. But uh, that they could study the signs of the zodiac and uh, all the religious implications that they would get out of that. So the, the city was a political thing. 
and the tower was ecclesiastical, the religious thing. So uh, they, they built that tower uh, to reach to heaven. Uh, if, you, if you use the language of Revelation, Revelation 17 and 18, which has to be distinguished, is Revelation chapter 17 concerns the woman Babylon, which is always representing a church, spiritual ecclesiastical. Revelation 18 is the city Babylon, so the woman and the city both have the same name. Uh, the city represents a political and commercial Babylon. But people say, oh, well, the city is the woman, the woman is the city. No, there's uh, two distinct thoughts, but they have the same nature and character, therefore they have the same name. All right, so let us build us a city, and so says all of us, and a tower uh, whose uh, top may reach uh, unto heaven, and let us make us a name, and you see, when you go to chapter 12, because as we see, God says to Abraham, I want you to come out of Ur of the Chaldees. I want you to get away from Nimrod, get out of Mesopotamia, and I'm going to show you a city whose builder and maker is God. I want you to leave that city, and I'm going to show you a city, and I'm going to make of you a great name. See, that, that all is in contrast to Nimrod and the city here. The beginning of his kingdom was Babylon. So let us build us a city and us a town. Let us make us a name. And you'll notice the last part of verse 4 is absolute defiance against God's will. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And God had said to man, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and, and just spread abroad throughout the earth. So centralization. They're going to defy God and say, we're not going to be scared. We're not going to go throughout the earth. Let's build us a city and let's make a big city. So, verse 5, peculiar language. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower. So you, you, you keep that city and tower in mind. What, which the children of men build. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. So the power of unity. They all have one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So, God said, go to let us. They say, let us build us a city. Well, let us go down. Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, the Godhead. And uh, there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left, the build, left off to build a city. Now, uh, there's lots of theories on this. I think the best theory uh, about Genesis 10 and 11 is that at this time when God scattered language, and you know, it must have been a, uh, quite an interesting time. You know, if you were there at the Tower of Babel, you know, as, uh, all of a sudden the guy says, hand me a brick, and he bursts out speaking in tongues. What did you say? I beg your pardon? And he just blabbers away. He, he's gone loco. And then suddenly, you know, they all realize that they're confused. And, and the whole thought is not, not only... Uh, uh, confusion of tongue, but it's also uh, a, a, a different thinking of mind. We put it this way, east is west, east is east, and west is west, and never the twain shall meet. And uh, those of us who come from different nations, different cultures, and so forth, it's a different thinking apparatus. And not only the tongue, but it's a different thinking apparatus. How many know that? Three of us? Uh, yeah, especially when you go through an interpreter, and uh, we in English say a certain sentence, and then uh, the interpreter begins and works from the end of your sentence backwards. And when I go through Japanese or Chinese, and the Chinese always say yes, 
when they read the Bible because their language is up there. But Western, we say, no, 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 no. See, there's, that's, that all goes back to this little tower here. <laughs> uh, right, so that's the whole thought there, see? So the name of it is called Babel, Babel because the Lord did there, confound the language of all the earth from thence the Lord did scatter them upon the face of the earth. So what I was going to say there is that I believe this is probably the best theory that at that time, uh, the earth was divided, if you, if you go back to chapter 10, we're told that the earth was divided in the days of Peleg, Pegleg I call him. But, uh, you know, how did, the, how did the koala bears get to Australia? How did the kangaroos get here? Why are we the only country in the world that has kangaroos and koala bears and, and the platypuses? I mean, how did they get here? How many have heard the theory of the continental drift? I think that's probably the best uh, thing because all happened here that when God scattered the, scattered the, uh, the tongues, he scattered them to their own. Uh, in fact, go to, yeah, go to verse uh, 31 and 32 of chapter 10. And just while we're uh, on this. Uh, these are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. And notice, these are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Once you keep that in mind. Now, turn to Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, and I'll try and handle uh, this carefully, what I say. But uh, you can think the rest. Deuteronomy 32, uh, let's see. No, it's not 32. Um... Yes, it is. Deuteronomy, you are right, Kevin. 32 verse 8. And I want you to hold Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 with Acts chapter 17. With Acts chapter 17. All right, Deuteronomy 13, uh, 32 and verse 8 and Acts 17. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, it says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance. You listening? So when did he divide? Say, okay, if the, uh, the um, what do I refer to that as the uh, dividing of the earth? What did I say there? Yeah, the continental drift, thank you. That's right, the continental drift. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So, why do certain animals dwell in certain countries? We have no elephants and tigers and you know, all that type of thing here. Why does Africa have certain animals? Why, do, why does India? Because I believe it all dates back here to the Tower of Babel, that when God confused the languages and uh, divided the continent up where the earth was one and they were one speech, God scattered them with their inheritance to the different, uh, different countries. But with our modern transport, we've uh, sort of messed all that up. Go to uh, Acts chapter 17 and uh, verse 26 and 27. And it says, And he has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on, the on all the face of the earth and hath determined 
the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. New King James says, has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. All right, so I said all that to say that I believe when God confused the languages and, and scattered the different tongues, uh, he scattered them in their nations, in their lands, in their inheritance. Uh, but today we're living in a Babylonian society where the world is becoming one world. We're headed for one world government, one world monetary system. Everything's just getting back to uh, the Babylon. So Babylon, if you haven't got this already down, Babylon means confusion. First of all, it meant gate of God. I'm not saying which God. Babylon meant the gate of God. But then when God came down and confused their tongues, Babylon from now on means confusion. All right. Uh, I don't want you to take this down. We may put it up later on. But let me, uh, not only the natural part, but also the spiritual things we want to learn from this as well. I'd like you to take this statement down. Anything that begins in rebellion ends in confusion. Okay? Nimrod the rebel. His name means the rebel. He's the 13th from Adam, which is the number of rebellion. And it's in defiance against God. He's the, he's the leader of it, the beginning of his kingdom. So we have the beginning of the kingdom of Babylon. And the whole thing is let us make us a name, let us make us a city, let us build us a city and a tower. We can reach heaven, study the signs of the zodiac and all the rest of it. It's absolute in defiance of God, a mighty hunter. And so it began in rebellion and ends in confusion. I've got up here Babylon, Jerusalem, the two cities, so confusion. So Revelation chapter 18 is political, commercial Babylon. And Revelation 17 is religious Babylon, the woman. One is the woman and one is the city. So it begins in that. So don't worry about all this part uh, for the moment. Now, let me say one other thing here. It's interesting that all the nations as they were scattered... And uh, as, a, as I refer to Hislop on the two Babylons, he's probably the masterpiece on this, that there was a religion of Babylon that was founded here in the city and tower, and uh, all nations have certain basic, all nations have religion of some sort, they have certain basic relig uh, religious tenets of faith, we might say, so that when they were scattered to the four corners of the earth and to their inheritances and the different uh, countries and so forth, they took with them the seeds of the Babylonian religion. Now every religion has a mother and a child. Now every religion believes in a god or gods. Now every religion basically believes that the gods have to be appeased. Every religion basically has a priestcraft or a priester, priesthood. Every religion believes it's got to be sacrifice. So there's certain basic tenets of faith that every religion has and they, they can trace it back to here. And that's why when God said to Abraham, you get out of this city to a city that I'm going to show you and Nimrod's making the name for himself, I'll give you a great name and from you I'm going to bring a nation that I'm going to give the true religion to, which he did to the nation of Israel because they've been corrupted by all this. So, you know, there's, there's so much in the seed thought. All right, now I want us to go from, from there. And um, after the scattering of the Tower of Babel here, we don't hear too much of uh, Babel uh, in the Bible, in the book of uh, Joshua. Remember, Achan took a Babylonian garment 
and a wedge of gold and some silver. Don't hear too much. The city seemed to decline. But as you go through, we find now, just sort of taking this from here, so you could put over here Genesis, and that's the beginning, and then it declines when the scattering. But then we find that over the years, Babylon begins to rise, and now the next major book that deals with Babylon is the book of Daniel. Now you see there's three major books that deal with, with Babylon, I mean, uh, uh, as a city. Genesis, the book of beginnings. Daniel, uh, where Babylon was at its glory. And then Revelation, where Babylon comes to its end. So those three books are linked. Genesis, Daniel, and Revelation. So the beginning book of, book of beginnings, and the book of kingdoms, and the book of ultimates. They're the three major pictures. Uh, let me just uh, read to you something that I got out of uh, Larkin's book on the glory of Babylon at the time of, uh, of uh, Daniel's time. So the city comes to, begins to rise. So if you don't mind a little bit of history, listen to this. The ancient city of Babylon from the days of Nimrod grew in size and importance century after century until it reached its greatest glory in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, B.C. 6045-562. As described by Herodotus, it was an exact square of 15 miles on a side or 60 miles around and was thus surrounded by a brick wall 87 feet thick and 350 feet high, though probably that is a mistake, 100 feet being near the heights. On the wall were 250 towers, and the top of the wall was wide enough to allow six chariots to drive abreast. Outside this wall was a vast ditch surrounding the city, kept filled with water from the river Euphrates. And inside the wall, and not far from it, was another wall, not much inferior but narrower, extending around the city. 25 magnificent avenues, 150 feet wide, ran across the city from north to south, and the same number crossed them at right angles from east to west, making 676 great squares, each nearly three-fifths of a mile on a side. And the city was divided into two equal parts by the river Euphrates that flowed diagonally through it and whose banks within the city were walled up and pierced with brazen gates with steps leading down to the river. At the ends of the main avenues on each side of the cities were gates whose leaves were of brass and that shone as they were open or closed in the rising or setting sun like leaves of flame. The Euphrates within the city was spanned by a bridge at each end of which was a palace, and these palaces were connected by a subterranean passage or tube underneath the bed of the river, in which at different points were located sumptuous banqueting rooms constructed entirely of brass. Near one of these palaces stood the Tower of Baal, or Babel, consisting of eight towers, each 75 feet high, rising one upon the other, with an outside winding stairway to its summit, which towers with the chapel on the top made a height of 660 feet. This chapel, one golden image alone, 45 feet high, was valued at $17,500,000, and the whole of the sacred utensils were reckoned to be worth $200 million US. Babylon also contained one of the seven wonders of the world, the famous Hanging Gardens. Uh, in fact, I have a little bit of it in the toilet in our house sometimes. And 
I have to watch I don't hit my head on them. Um, yeah, don't tell my wife I said that, will you? Thank you. Uh, these gardens were 440 feet square and were raised in terraces, one above the other, to a height of 350 feet and were reached by stairways 10 feet wide. The top of each terrace was covered with large stones on which was laid a bed of rushes, then a thick layer of asphalt. Next, two courses of bricks cemented together and finally plates of lead to prevent leakage. Uh, leakage. The whole was then covered with earth and planted with shrubbery and large trees. The whole had the appearance uh, from a distance of a forest-covered mountain, which would be a remarkable sight in the level plain of the Euphrates. These gardens were built by Nebuchadnezzar simply to please his wife. Are you listening, men? <laughs> who came from the mountainous country of Media and who was thus made contented with her surroundings. The rest of the city was in its glory and magnificence in keeping with these palaces, towers and the hanging gardens. The character of its and its inhabitants and its official life is seen in the description of Belshazzar's feast. All right, now let's go over to, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Book of Daniel. How you all doing out there? Not going too fast? I'm very pleased with myself. All right, now, Daniel chapters 1 through to 5 deal with the uh, glory of Babylon and the, Babylon, uh, the Babylonian captivity of Judah. Now, oh, how do I do this? Can you think with me tonight if I, if I digress a moment? How many can think with me? I sort of need to put this in the picture. Why don't you close Daniel for the moment? And uh, go over to Revelation 17. Okay, we'll, you're supposed to think this is supposed to be a teaching night. Go to Revelation 17, then we'll come back to Daniel. Okay, Revelation chapter 17. Let me just read a couple of verses, two or three verses here. So... Revelation 17, verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and so forth. And verse 5, we've already read, Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots, and Abomination of the Earth. And the woman was drunken with the blood of saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. All right, now go down to verse 7. And the angel said to me, Wherefore did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carried her, which had the seven heads and ten horns. Verse 9. And here is the mind that has wisdom, the seven heads, the seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other, uh, one other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. Verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, shall give their power and strength unto the beast, and these shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords, king of kings, and they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. All right, let's uh, just add to uh, hopefully not the confusion. But because of what we're dealing with tonight, and it looks like next week as well, you need to look at this. Um, I'll 
I'll erase this, some of this. How many enjoy looking at the divine jigsaw puzzle? How many just be, like being puzzled? Okay. In, in Revelation 17 and 18, which we're sort of majoring on, you need to make a note of this. There's three things we have to interpret. First of all, we have the woman who is called Babylon. And I've already told you, I believe that represents a church, the great harlot church, and uh, religious confusion. And then you have the beast, which I'm just digressing on for the moment here. And the beast represents a kingdom. And then in Revelation 18, we have the city, which is called Babylon. And this has to do with the political, commercial. So let's say that again. The three different things. See, some of the books I've read, they say, well, one and the same thing. No, a woman is always symbolic of a church. And here, representing, I believe, the great harlot church, mother of harlots. We'll deal with that later on. The beast representing the kingdom. And then the city, also named Babylon, the same spirit, representing the commercial and political Babylon. So you've got three different symbols to interpret. The city, the beast, and the woman. Now what we're looking at is, is this beast. Now this beast has seven heads. Let's do this. Number one, head. Number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven. Everybody on the tape see that? Now I want you to put under here the seven heads. Just put head, head one, head two, Head uh, three, head four here. The fifth head. The sixth head. And the seventh head. Now, on the seventh head, you'll notice there are ten horns. Right, now, all these heads, now beast represents the kingdoms of this world. And the seven heads represent seven world kingdoms, always in relation to the people of God. So let's see where, where, where we're headed here, okay? So the first head, or the first world kingdom of the beast kingdoms, was Egypt. We'll just take this slowly here. Egypt. And then the next one was Assyria. Just uh, try and sort of, you know, in your, in your, as you stretch your mind, think how all these are associated here. Egypt, and then we're going to later on, we have to look at Persia, so forth, Babylon. So all this area here has been so much Bible, vitally Bible. Okay, so Assyria. Then the next head, Babylon. Then the next head, Medo-Persia. And you see, it may just help us when we uh, think of the uh, conflict between uh, Iran and Iraq, because Iran is ancient Persia. 
So there's a lot of hostility of centuries because the Medo-Persian Empire conquered Babylon. So that's still there, centuries old. Medo-Persia. And then we have the Grecian Empire. And then we have the Roman Empire, which succeeded. And then the last one to be revealed, which undoubtedly is in formation today, is the Antichristal Kingdom. Now when John sees this vision, and you'll notice the beast is supporting the woman, the woman is controlling the beast. All the kingdoms of the world have drunk of the wine of her fornication. Somewhere down the line, this might mean much at the moment, the beast is going to buck the old girl off once the anti-crystal thing comes. All right, now John sees this and he said, okay, the beast with seven heads, he said there are five, uh, five kings, kings, kingdoms, synonymous, five are fallen. Now when John was writing the book of Revelation and bringing us to the consummation of what's revealed in Babylon and Jerusalem, tale of two cities, in John's time, the Lord said, five have fallen. So, Egypt had fallen. Fallen head. Assyria had fallen. And these are all dealt with, these nations, uh, kingdoms are dealt with in like in Ezekiel and Isaiah. Assyria has fallen. Babylon had fallen, but not yet uh, in what we're talking about. We see it's rising. Okay? So, but in John's time, Babylon had fallen. And then the fourth head, Medo-Persia, had fallen. And then the Grecian Empire, Alexander uh, the Great, and when he, his kingdom was divided amongst his four generals, that was fallen. So as John is seeing when he's writing the book of Revelation, he says five heads. There are seven heads, seven kingdoms, five have fallen. One is. What was the one that was in the time of John? Rome, the Roman kingdom, the only kingdom that's ever used crucifixion as a means of death. One is, and he said, the other is yet to come. So between this period of time, Rome is, and the other yet to come, we sandwich the whole period of the church because God is gathering out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation a people that forms the church. Once God's purposes for the church are complete, then you're going to see the full manifestation of this seventh head. So now, I said all that to say this. Egypt, this head has fallen. Assyria, this head has fallen. Babylon is the one we're dealing with. Now, I need to add one other thing here. Put in relation to this, this is always in relation to the people of God. Egypt had to do with Israel as an infant nation the 12 tribes of the infant nation Israel, the Egyptian captivity, the Egyptian bondage, more correctly, Israel. Assyria has to do only with the house of Israel, the 10 tribes, so-called the 10 lost tribes that were taken into Assyrian captivity in B.C. 721. Might like to put that down, B.C. 721. Assyrian captivity and scattered through the nations and lots of controversy over the lost house of Israel. Who are they? Where are they? Now, what we're looking at here tonight, these kingdoms only have to do primarily with the house of Judah. 
two tribes plus the Levitical tribe. So house of Judah, Medo-Persia, house of Judah, Grecian, house of Judah, Jerusalem, all having to do with Jerusalem, Babylon, Jerusalem now, okay, Jerusalem, and then Rome, Judah, and the crucifixion. This will be a worldwide thing. Okay, so it sort of gives you a panoramic view of what's happening here. So this is, it's the third head on the beast that we're looking at here. All right, now in the light of all that, go back to Daniel. Uh, Daniel. Okay, Daniel's chapter 1 through 5. We have uh, the tremendous things there about Nebuchadnezzar who is, in this uh, case, like in chapter 2, when he gets the dream of the image. Remember, when Daniel interprets, he says, you are the head of gold. Using a different picture there uh, of the image of a man, the world kingdoms and the image of a man. You are the head of gold. Go to verse 38 of chapter 2. Or verse, uh, verse 37 probably is better. Daniel 2 verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given you a kingdom, power, strength, and, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, all the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you rule over them. You are this head of gold. Okay? But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, inasmuch as uh, iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. So Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, right here, you could put him there, old Neb. And uh, think what happens to him. He's the man that is, he, you see, he's the one that God uses and, 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 hope this will all fit together, particularly in light of what's happening today. He's the one that God uses to punish the house of Judah and bring about four desolations. Maybe under here, uh, save me putting on the board, why don't you put down one, two, three, four, what happens here? Because it has such a, a bearing on, uh, on, on, on what's developing in, uh, in, the, in the Middle East with the present-day Babylon that's being rebuilt. Okay? So, you're the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to go back to Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus 27. Everybody still with me? How many have gone home? I asked you a question there. All right, Leviticus, what did I say? Leviticus 26? Yes. If you haven't marked your Bible... In Leviticus 26, the, the heart of the chapter has to do with what is called the seven times punishment, which I can't take time to explain now, but actually began with Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most famous king of Babylon and brought Babylon to its greatest glory. And God uses him to fulfill something here. So if you mark your Bible... Go to verse 18, 21, 24, and 28. I'll say that again. Verse 18, 
And I've, I've got it all marked in my Bible, you know, everything's so good. And if you will not yet for all this hearken to me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Seven times is referred to as the seven times punishment. Seven times prophecy, seven times, which I can't explain now, but began with Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. Verse 21, And if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. So notice at verse 18, seven times more punishment. And verse 21, seven times more plagues. Verse 24, Then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins, so seven times punishment. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. Verse 28. Then will I walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins, the seven times chastisement. Okay. All began with Nebuchadnezzar, as I said, I can't digress there. Now, in verse 31 and 32... He lists four things that he's going to bring to desolation which all took place under Nebuchadnezzar. So this is such an important thing. See, Genesis is the seed book of the Bible, the beginning, the seeds of Babylon and the associated related cities. Daniel is the height of it when Nebuchadnezzar brought Babylon to its absolute glory as the head of gold, the brains. And see, whatever was in Nebuchadnezzar as the brains that thing went right through the body of the image of all world kingdoms. In fact, interesting thing about this in Daniel 1 through to 5, chapter 4, I think it is, or chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is the man who becomes the beast. And we think of Revelation 13, the man who becomes the beast. And that beastly nature and uh, intellectual pride, which is intellectual insanity, that what is in the head, that you are the head of gold, it just goes right through the body of the image, right down to, in this picture, the ten toes. Ten horns on the beast, ten toes on the image. It's the same thing. So what is in that head? And as, as you'll see in due time, because of what's happening today, with that thing, it's, it's repeating itself. We're coming to the end of it. Okay, now, verse 31 and 30, th through to 34, I'll just have to say it here because my time's almost gone. All right, I I'll read it first and I'll say the four things that Nebuchadnezzar does. I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. Verse 32, and I will bring the land into desolation. Your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. Verse 33, and I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lieth desolate and ye be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. Okay, number one, desolation of the city and cities. So Nebuchadnezzar, and I know I keep saying this, but because because what is going to happen here in Revelation is all here. Um, I repeat it, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar desolated the, the temple of God. He destroyed the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. What did I say? What, what was the first one there? 
the cities. Yes, I got down the wrong order. Okay, so he destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the cities of Judah as the Babylonian armies marched up and desolated the cities of Judah. So number one, you can put down desolation of Jerusalem, uh, ransack the city, the city of Jerusalem. Babylon and Jerusalem, Babylon and Jerusalem. Revelation, Babylon and Jerusalem. And with the modern day uh, self-styled Nebuchadnezzar. All right, number two. The second thing is desolation of the sanctuaries. Bring your sanctuaries to desol desolation. So under this I'd like you to put desolation of the temple. Nebuchadnezzar burnt the temple, destroyed the temple of Jerusalem. So desolation of the cities and city, the city of God. So Babylon conquers Jerusalem. Babylon's up, Jerusalem's down. Desolation of the sanctuaries, the temple of God, the holy places in the land, the sacred places where they had their pilgrimages and high places, desolation. Number three, the third thing that Nebuchadnezzar desolated was desolation of the people. I will scatter you. I will scatter you amongst the heathen. And you see, at this period of time that we're looking at, remember, the Babylonian captivity was to last for 70 years the glory of Babylon, 70 years and then Babylon would be judged. But 70 years captivity here, this period of time, and Babylon is at its glory. So 70 years captivity. And the 70 years were 70 Sabbaths for the land because the land had failed to keep the Sabbath. So he said, okay, every seven years must be a Sabbath year. You didn't keep the Sabbath. So I'm going to kick you out of the land for 70 years and they'll make up the 70 Sabbaths Seven sevens, here it is. Seventy by seven equals 490 years, which equals 70 weeks. Prophecy. That's all linked up there. All right. And then the fourth one, so desolation of the people, and then number four is the desolation of the land. Verse 32, I will bring the land into desolation. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. So in Daniel, chapters 1 through 5, we see Babylon at its height and glory and then the desolation. God used Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, to desolate and fulfill the prophecies of the, of, uh, of the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, all against the house of Judah for failing to keep the Sabbaths. Now let's see where we're going. Okay, how are you doing up there all right? Still all right? Everybody with me so far? Still got your thinking caps on? All right, now I want you to turn back to Daniel 5. And in Daniel 5, we have the fall of Babylon. Okay, at the end of 70 years, we have the fall of Babylon. Now we'll find... If you just want to put these chapters down, we will look at them like uh, probably next week as we continue on this. Uh, put down Isaiah 13 and 14. These are chapters. Isaiah 13 and 14. Isaiah chapter 47 and 48. These are chapters. And, Isaiah, uh, and Jeremiah 50 and 51. So Isaiah 13 and 14, 
47, 48, Jeremiah 50, 51. The prophets back here, before, uh, they prophesied of the 70-year captivity, but they also prophesied that at the end of 70 years, God would judge Babylon and cause Babylon to fall. Uh, so we have those prophecies there. Now, in Daniel 5, we have the, um, the fall of Babylon. I want you to uh, just look at a couple of verses here, Daniel 5. Uh, Belshazzar's son now, Nebuchadnezzar, has gone off the scene. And Nebuchadnezzar's son, I mean, and we have in verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, stupid things come to his head because he's not thinking straight, because that's what wine does, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they bought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, concubines drank therein. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold, head of gold, silver, the arms and breasts, of silver, of brass, the belly of brass, and iron, the feet of iron and clay, wood and stone. It's just like what he sees in the image, what his dad, Nebuchadnezzar, his grand grandfather saw, he just praises all those things. Uh, top heavy. He's top heavy. Golden image. And in verse 5, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick or the lampstand upon the plaster of the wall and the king of the king's palace and the, and the king saw part of the hand that wrote. Uh, listen to what history tells us about this. On, uh, on the feast of Belshazzar in, in Daniel uh, 5, this is what history tells us. It tells us that there were a thousand of his lords there, each of them having at least 50 wives. And Belshazzar had 350 wives. And that's why he said, last one into bed puts the light out. Uh, no, that's not, uh, Kevin kind of said that. Uh, in this feast here, according to history, we're told that there were 50,000 people present with a 32,000-piece orchestra. And uh, can you imagine the feast? So in his tipsiness, drinking wine, he says, ah, oh, let's get the vessels from Jerusalem, the temple of God, and let's just celebrate our gods. Uh, the modern day guy, guy who calls him Nebuchadnezzar doing the same things, mocking. And uh, what a meeting that must have been. As, I mean, what would you do if you suddenly saw a hand come out of the wall up here and have you ever thought of the things that brought about the fall of Babylon? It was the sign of a man's hand and it was an unknown tongue because it wrote in an unknown language. Meeny, meeny. Yeah, yeah. Someone told me it was meant meeny, you meeny, meeny, you're tickling the parson. No, it doesn't mean that. Meeny, meeny, tickle, you fasten. So this unknown tongue that needed interpretation, God actually used sign of a hand, sign of tongue's interpretation, if you please, 
uh, to bring about the fall of Babylon. And it was all done in connection with the golden candlestick, the golden lampstand. Boy, talk about a picture of the church, golden candlestick and the sign of the ministry of laying of hands and gifts of the spirit tongues interpretation. They're just interesting. So uh, they eventually find Daniel after God made a fool out of all the wise men of Babylon. None of them could interpret. They suddenly realize old Daniel's about 90 years of age now. They bring him and Daniel gives the interpretation. And, you, and, and the, the amazing thing about this is, go to, uh, while you're in Daniel 5, um, and verse 30, we're simply told, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom being about threescore and two years old. Do you know what history tells us? And according to prophecy, let's bring prophecy, uh, in some of those scriptures I gave you, God said through the prophet Isaiah that uh, he will cause, uh, and these are prophecies against Babylon, he would cause their, their knees to knock together, he would cause the knees of kings to tremble, and uh, he would dry up their river, of Babylon, drop the river of Babylon, think of the river Euphrates running across the city, and he would cause the, uh, the gates of brass to be left open. Isaiah had prophesied that over a hundred years before. And according to history, we are told that old Belshazzar and his party were so tipsy that the Medo-Persian soldiers, and you see, as I said, a lot of the problem in the Middle East between Iran and Iraq is a lot of this underneath that's still there. And in fact, as we're going to see next week, Saddam Hussein, Hussein says, we will never again allow Persia to destroy Babylon as it did in the past. So what was happening as Daniel is interpreting the unknown tongue over against the golden lampstand taken out of the temple at Jerusalem, the Medo-Persian soldiers had diverted the river Euphrates Think of this now, Euphrates, Babylon. They had diverted the river Euphrates and the soldiers came up the diverted uh, river, the reasonably dry riverbed there, and they came to these two leave gates and according to history, they said never in the history of Babylon had those two leave gates or the gates of brass ever been left open. And as the Medo-Persian soldiers came up, they found that that night the gates of the city where the river Euphrates went di diagonally across the city, the gates had been left open and they came in through the two gates, up through the Tower of Baal and that night, the Bible is just very simple, that night Belshazzar was slain, just like that. How many think God's got it all under control? Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, the fall of Babylon. I think you have had enough for tonight. We're going to continue this exciting episode next week. So we, what we're doing in the next, tonight and next week and the following week, we're looking at these two cities, a tale of two cities. We want to see what Babylon plays in the end time and what Jerusalem plays. Okay, so how many feel you've got something out of tonight? About 20 of you? All right. Let's all stand. Father, we just uh, once again thank you the privilege of uh, feeding upon your word. Thank you, Lord, that we are living in exciting days when uh, the ultimate of your purposes are coming to pass. 
And Father, as we uh, see these things that are developing in the nations of the world and uh, in the Middle East, uh, those surrounding areas, Father, we thank you that we are looking for a city whose builder, uh, his maker is God. And that uh, we are walking in the steps of Abraham, the father of all who believe. Father, help us to keep our eyes upon the city of God. Uh, and even though we see these things happening nationally, internationally, uh, Lord, we have a city that can never be shaken, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we pray, Lord, that the nature and the character of that holy city will be seen in us in the midst of a spiritually Babylonian society, a society that's in so much confusion because of the root of rebellion. Help us, Lord, to follow in your steps. Let your blessing be upon us now as we separate until we gather again in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. We'll continue this and finish this section next week. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.